friends, it's Jamie, and this is The Real Mom Podcast. I'm so excited to share my guest with you today, Kathleen Burse. Kathleen is an LCSW, a psychotherapist, a foster, adoptive, and biological mom. And today she shares with us a little bit of her story and a lot of her expertise. We talk about mindfulness and self-regulation. We jump into self-care a bit, and we really talk about how theology and psychotherapy can come together in beautiful unison of following God's word through clinical practices. I love the way that we sort through some of this, talk about what it looks like in real life, and apply it to the life of foster moms. I love talking to Kathleen. I learned so much from her and put some of my junk on the table a little bit and asked for her help. And I loved getting to hear from her and learn from her a little bit. And I know that you will too. So enjoy this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. Hi, Kathleen. How are you? I'm good, Jamie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today, mainly because I think that I need to talk to you. (laughs) And so I'm hoping that I can get a lot out of this conversation personally, and maybe someone else will get something out of it too. (laughs) Yes, I sure hope so. All right. So can you introduce yourself and your family to me and my listeners? Sure. I am Kathleen Burst. I'm a psychotherapist in private practice. I am a foster bio and adoptive mom. I have my oldest boys are the bio kiddos. They're 10 and 8. And then my middle little man is two and a half. We just adopted him out of foster care last year. And then last April, his bio sissy came to join our family. Surprisingly, <laughs> we had no idea yeah. about her at all. And yeah, I think we were actually going to record a podcast that day. And I had to email you and be like, sorry, something came up, but you know the drill. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Yes. Something for sure. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Were you planning on opening your home again or accepting another child or was this really out of left field? So we were, but we had said, because we were supposed to adopt our son in March of last year, right? Literally right when COVID shut everything down. And so okay. they, they, we were two days away from our adoption date and they called us and said, no, that's not happening. And so the stress oh of my that, gosh. it was so stressful. <laughs> the stress <laughs> of that, we were like, okay, I think what we're going to do is take a little breather from foster care and we're going to come back. We definitely want to foster again, but we just need a little time to kind of recalibrate as a family. And then okay. we got the call le- like a month later for a baby sis and we're like, so you have five minutes to decide because we're going to keep calling people. And we're like, okay, so we're having a girl. Yeah. <laughs> She's coming. Yeah. So- oh, my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. So you didn't even know that there was a sibling in the picture. No, nope, we had no clue that she that bio mom was pregnant again. We had no idea. Oh, my goodness. All right. So tell me a little bit about your journey into foster care or your decision to become foster parents. Okay. So my husband and I about three or four, it was about four years ago, we decided, you know, we'd like to have another child. We're not sure if we want to do that biologically or do foster care or adoption. We just weren't really sure. So we really prayed about it and thought about it. And we actually attended a seminar. It was for something completely unrelated to foster care in New York City that year. And we were listening to this woman speak and she was 19 years old. She had had two children. She had been in foster care and she said that in three of the four foster homes she had grown up in, she was abused. And my husband and I just looked at each other and just held each other's hand. And both of us had huge tears in our eyes. And we kind of got home later that day on the drive home. And he was like, what do you, what did you take away from today? And I was like, I think we need to do foster care. And he was like, yeah, 
<laughs> had nothing to do with foster care. The wow. whole rest of the day was not about foster care, but we really felt yeah, like yeah. God being like, you're doing this. And so wow. that's what we did. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about yourself professionally. So I am a psychotherapist. I have worked in all different places. I'm a social worker by education, but I've worked in a bunch of different fields, including hospice and schools. And I kind of just really decided that my thing that I wanted to focus on was helping women overcome anxiety. And then not too long into my foster care journey, did I realize, wow, I need to lean on every single skill that I am talking about with women in my office as a foster mom more than I ever have before. So that to me really felt like a time when I wanted to start focusing on the online side of things, helping other foster moms feel supported because this is so obviously, as you know, it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) Hard stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So did you have experience professionally like, was this born out of women coming into your office or was this born out of literally you as a foster mom going, oh my gosh, I need help. Other women must need this help too. I kind of a little bit of both. So I've always been focused on helping, you know, women overcome anxiety. That's really my specialty. But as I became a foster mom and started sharing my story, like here and there on my you know professional Instagram account, people started messaging me and saying, you know, I am dealing with this or, you know, someone's being reunified or we're not sure what's going to happen. And then I started to just feel this tug, like, you know what? I know this personally, I've needed these skills. And I know that now other people are saying, you know, what should I do? And I'm like, okay, let me try to help with that. Cause that's really where my passion is anyway. Yeah. Okay. So let's, (laughs) let's expose you as a psychotherapist and as a foster mom right now, you have a child in your home and it wasn't necessarily expected. And I'm sure there are difficulties because you already have experience with this child's bio family. And, you know, there's maybe potentially baggage there and certainly history. So what does it look like for you as a mom and a woman in this position as a foster mom, potentially adopting, dealing with all of this, what does it look like for you on a day-to-day basis to like practice what you preach? So I actually last summer created a course, an online course called Fear Less, which literally just outlines the exact strategies that I teach women in my office to overcome anxiety. Okay. I really wanted a skill set to be able to just give to people, like share sure. with people. Like, this is what I tell people to do. But what I do is I go into it and I do the modules myself. Because really? I Because honestly, it's not enough just to know the skills. You really just have to constantly bring them to the forefront and continue to practice them. Because we, we forget we're busy. We have a zillion things going at once. So for me, I honestly... I made this course and I seriously revisit it because it's what I know works. It's evidence-based practices and it's what I need in my own life too. Okay. So obviously you can't go through the course with us in this half hour and this is part of your business and your professional, but I want to know, give me an example of step one or something really practical of what it looks like to, like you just said, not just have the knowledge, but actually apply fighting fear and anxiety as a foster parent. Love that. So one of the main core things that I teach is cognitive behavioral therapy. And one of the base level things to do with cognitive behavioral therapy is to kind of notice your thoughts when you're having them. Because oftentimes what I notice for me and what a lot of women report is that I'm thinking, you know, 10 steps down the road. 
especially with foster care, it's like, and it's always that what if. So this, what I use is called a thought record or a thought tracker. And it helps you start with what am I, what am I facing? What situation is happening? So for example, my daughter just left for a visit this morning and immediately started crying when she left. I'm like, Mm. okay, this is bringing up a lot of feels for me. Yeah, this is real life. (laughs) This is real life. And this is real life application in real time. So I take my thoughts and I say, okay, what I notice what I'm thinking. Okay. So she just left. Then I think, okay, what are the actual emotions that I'm feeling? I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling sad. And those are the two big ones. <laughs> so yeah, once I know what I'm feeling, I, I kind of rate them on a one to 100 scale. So 100 is like the most I've ever felt this in my life. And one is like, I'm barely feeling it. So I, after I have my readings, I kind of notice what my thoughts are. And this is all like, this sounds like a very laborious process. It, once you do it so many times, it's very interesting. Sure. It comes naturally. Yeah. So I start to notice my thoughts and my thoughts are, I wish I could comfort her. I wish I could stay with her. I wish she didn't have to be upset right now. I hope she's going to be okay at the visit. You know, those kind of thoughts. When you notice what those thoughts are, you kind of recognize your hot thought, which is the thought that's causing you the most discomfort. And Mm. what I do is I tell people at at first, just write these down, but in your mind, just notice what it is. For me, it's, I feel bad that I can't comfort her. I'm sad that I can't comfort her. So once I know what my main discomfort is, I then think of an alternative or a balanced thought to go against that because there is a way to do that. So I look at this thought, I wish I could comfort her, but I can't, there's nothing I can do for her right now. And I look at the evidence for that being true, which is, yeah, they are taking her away from me. That's really happening. And then the evidence against that thought is, no, I know what I can do. I can pray for her. I can, you know, have things ready to comfort her when she gets home. I can remind myself that she's done this before. She does this every week, those kind of things. So that I, I take into account the evidence for this thought being true and the evidence against it being true, because there's always both. Typically what happens is we think, oh, it's so black and white. It's so all this or all that. And those are cognitive yeah. distortions. So what we do is we push back against that. And so then I can come up with an alternative thought, which is, you know, in this moment, I can do something. I can pray for her. And when she gets home, I can spend the rest of the afternoon cuddling her, making sure she's okay. And that immediately starts to make me feel a lot better, a lot more regulated emotionally. And just to know, okay, I can stay here and be present with my son who is still here. So that's what is the kind of the rundown of the main basic Thing that I teach right at the get-go. That is so good. And I love that because as foster parents, we are so out of control of anything that happens. Like probably if it were up to you, your daughter would be in your arms right now. There are so many things that we don't have control over yes. that I think <laughs> it can tempt us to believe that we have no control over anything where, yeah, we may not be able to control the decisions that are being made or the fate of our kids in their futures and all of that. But what we do have control over is ourselves in it and the way that we handle the process. And so while we are out of control, not in control, we don't have to be completely out of control ourselves. Exactly. Yes. I also love, let me just like lay out my my junk a little bit, growing up in conservative Christian circles with a strong focus on, you know, that God's word is sufficient for everything. And so really believing that we can just receive truth and encouragement from God's word and it is enough. 
That is very true. And I believe that wholeheartedly. But it was in my thinking to the expense of what the church may call, you know, modern day psychology. And, oh, we don't need modern day psychology. We have God's word and we have the Holy Spirit. And what I love is I just heard you go through a clinical description of what it looks like to take every thought captive to Christ, (laughs) to put off a thought, you know, to think truth and speak truth to ourselves. So think on what is good and what is pure and what is true. You just had a clinical description to what God tells us to do in his word, which is take those thoughts captive to Christ, believe truth, and put on these things. And the two just go so hand in hand so beautifully and aren't in contradiction at all. I love that you just said that because I do run up against that sometimes. And I think that when I tell people, it's like everything good that comes from clinical knowledge and it's God's idea. It was his idea. Everything good is is from him. This is just the way that, you know, secular people are putting it, but it does work. And this is what God wants us to be doing. Yeah. Even just hearing you share about this specific example, you know, when my daughter who was just recently reunified started on her long weekend visits, I was laying in bed every night and just thinking, my little girl is going to wake up in the middle of the night as she does every night. And she's going to want me as she does every night. And I comfort her. I let her know that I'm here for a moment and I lay her back down and she's okay. And I I would lay in bed every night just thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to wake up and I'm not going to be there. And she's going to wonder where I am and she's going to feel abandoned. She's going to feel afraid. And, and I was paralyzed by these thoughts. And all of those things, like you were saying, are true. It is true that she would wake up in the middle of the night and wonder where I was, but it's not the only true thing. And so I found a number of verses and truths from God's word that he is always with her, that he can comfort her in ways that I cannot, that he can speak to her heart in secret places in ways that even if I was there, couldn't meet that need. And so, yeah, those fears were so real and they had real things behind them. (laughs) Like she was actually going to wake up and probably be afraid, but there was beautiful truth that I didn't have to continue to be paralyzed by them because putting them on to that off of, you know, I putting off fear and putting on this truth, it just, it brought such peace to my heart. So what are some of your truths that you apply to your own heart when you are afraid or sad, like you were just saying, felt both of those things already today? (laughs) Yes, I know. Really, for me, it's kind of, you know, I I feel so thankful that like God's word is living and active that whatever I'm reading that day, I feel like Mm. it gives me what I need, which is so great. I don't know. I feel like the Psalms are so beautiful for me to go through as a foster mom and just be encouraged by that, you know, there is, you know, and almost in many of the Psalms, there's so much hardship at the end. It's always back to thankfulness and just thankfulness that I get to have this experience and thankful that this is a beautiful calling, foster care. And it's, it is a calling and it is a hard one, but it's beautiful. And there's so much of the gospel in it. And I love how you share that so beautifully with your followers and listeners. So yeah, I'm encouraged by, by that. That's awesome. All right. So tell me this then. Let's take the same sort of 
CBT and your background and experience, one of the biggest shifts that came in my home is when I understood that I needed to be regulated in order to help my kids be regulated. So, so many moms will reach out to me and say like, okay, that's great (laughs) that you made that connection. And I know I need to make that connection, but how the heck do I stay regulated? So again, you have 10 minutes to try to (laughs) like put all your wisdom on us, but give us a little something. What does it look like for a mom in the midst of this to remain regulated or regain regulation? Yes, I love that. It's an ongoing process, but I think, you know, I talk about mindfulness a lot and I talk about, and again, that's a secular concept that God also is like the author of, you know, like really just being present and bringing yourself back to present. So one thing that I recommend a lot of people do, and I do a lot myself is I will say, when I notice my thoughts going all over the place, I, I say, okay, right now I am. And I bring myself right back to this moment. I am sitting, I am talking to Jamie. This is what I'm doing right now. And I do it. And it's kind of, it sounds like kind of weird, but yeah, it really grounds you in what you're doing right now. Even if you're like, you know, my mornings are usually crazy. I'm sure a lot of moms are crazy in the morning with their kids getting ready for school and things like that. Especially on a visit day, I was like all over the place this morning. I literally was like, right now I'm making a bottle. Right now, I'm making a bottle. And it sounds crazy, but it really works to help you just focus on one thing at a time because foster care and our journey will keep unfolding and it happens one thing at a time. And we don't need to be, I think sometimes we feel like if we know 10 steps ahead what I need to do, or I'm, I'm already thinking of that thing for tomorrow, that's yeah. going to be helpful, but it's not helpful. Yeah, it takes us right. away from right now. That's so good. I love that. I also have found the power of that. And it doesn't make sense to me how it works, (laughs) except that it's like practicing self-control or something. When my body is just flaring anxiety, I tell myself I'm in my body. Because I heard someone say that once, and I thought that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What does that even mean? (laughs) But it immediately, I think what it does is it tells myself my body isn't in control here. I am in my body and there there's this like soothing, like, okay, I can actually practice putting on peace even when my body is fighting against me and so feeling so out of control right now. Yeah. Those physiological symptoms of anxiety are what really get so many of us in trouble because they happen so quickly. We don't have control over them and our bodies kind of all deal differently with anxiety. But the good thing is, is to normalize it, to say, yeah, this does happen to everyone. We all experience anxiety in our bodies. And when we feel that, just knowing that you have a plan, like you said, just knowing that I say, I am in my body. And I say, right right now, I am. And once you know that you have a plan to deal with it, it takes so much of the power away. So it's good. Yeah. And I love, I am a chronic multitasker and it just feels like the only way to live for me and the only way to be productive and get stuff done. And yet, yeah, now I have anxiety about what I'm trying to accomplish right now and what needs to be accomplished in an hour or a week from now. Yeah. I feel that a lot. It's hard with multiple kids and a job and everything else. It's so hard not to, but it just takes practice. The more you practice it, the easier it becomes with anything that we're talking about. Sure. Yeah. Mindfulness was so kind of like up here for me. And even just meditation. Do you practice meditation at all? I do. Yep, I do. And I love it. And my favorite meditation is just to sit outside quietly. I love it. I do a guided meditation here and there, but 
my favorite is just sitting and, and to me too, when even I, you know, Christians will often say like, oh, meditation, that's Buddhist. I'm like, no, it's secular. But also God does tell us to sit in stillness before him and to be quiet, be still and know that I'm God. So I'm like, to me, that just feels like the epitome of practicing just stillness before God and just stillness in myself. And I feel like there is so much, so much benefit that comes when we are just taking that intentional time to be still and be away. Right. Or like you said, guided meditation for me has just always felt like exercising my brain. I follow my brain as if it has complete control and I just have to kind of follow along. But that would be like me sitting all day and saying, well, like I'm not a good runner. And well, I'm not a good runner because I'm not practicing running. I don't know how to bring my thoughts back to where I am and kind of have self-control. It's almost like exercising self-control, like outside of the moment, practicing it and working out the way you work out your body and build your muscles, like building that muscle there. It totally is. That's such a great way to put it because scientifically, like the neuroplasticity of your brain changes when you meditate, when you take time for stillness, whether it's guided meditation or your own quiet meditation, it changes the structure and the functioning of your brain so that you are Mm. more able to do it in the future. So the exercise analogy is perfect because it's so true. Right. So then when you need it, you know, you lift weights, not just so you can lift weights, you lift weights so you can be strong later when you need the strength. So I don't sit there and meditate for the sake of meditation. I sit there and meditate. So when my kid screams at me later in that day, I'm not like automatically pulled right into that with him. I can almost see it over there and go like, oh, that's happening. But I actually have control over my brain a little and I don't have to jump into his chaos. Yes, that is so exactly it. I love it. I'm so glad you do it. I'm so this is so important to talk about. Yeah. I mean, my mom is the dearest woman on earth. And she was like, so can you explain to me this meditation process (laughs) and what you're doing? Like, could you just put a verse in your, and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm literally just exercising. I'm just exercising that part of my body instead of my arms or legs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So good. All right. So give me one more little practical, I can do this outside of the moment to help myself with anxiety or regulation, whatever it is that I'm struggling with, that like, all right, I'm practicing this so that next time, you know, the fear and the situation wants to take over, I'm a little bit stronger. (laughs) So great, great question. I think that self-care is something that I talk about a lot. And I know I sometimes get the eye roll from people when I start talking about self-care. You won't get it from me. Okay, good. (laughs) It's so important to have a regular self-care practice. And I think, you know, people, I will hear people say, oh, it's more than a bubble bath or it's more than a face mask. And I'm like, it's whatever you want it to be. It's healthy coping. Sure, sure. Self-care is. So for me, I'm like, there is no right way to do it, but there is just so much benefit. The same with meditation. And that could be part of your self-care practice to take time doing something that you love that fills you up. Like you said, not for the sake of doing it, but really truly to make you more able to handle and cope later on. Because I think, especially as moms, especially as women, we can tend to get into this like thriving on chaos. And all of a sudden we come to this point of where we are literally going to burn out and we don't have the luxury of burnout either as moms, we have to keep going. So the best way to do that is to kind of care for our vessel all along. And so actually on my website, I have a free resource. That's a quiz. That's like, what kind of cool. Tell us about it. Yeah. What kind of self-care do you need on your foster care journey right now? Because again, we might have our go-tos and I think 
I'm guilty of this sometimes too, of like, oh, I'm just scrolling through my phone for, for you know, for five minutes for fun. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not going to really fill me up in the same way that something else might. So I kind of put together a quiz that's like, what do you need right now for self-care? And then it you go through, it's kind of a fun little quiz. And then it gives you three practical, applicable ways to practice self-care for you based on your results, what you can do. And I just think as you start practicing self-care, as you start making time for a regular practice, you'll start to know the things that are, you know, beneficial to you and the things that you come back to like meditation or prayer, whatever it is for you. But in the beginning, when people first start practicing self-care, they're like, I don't know if I had, I don't know what I would do. You know, a lot of people just are so out of the habit of caring for themselves that they don't even know what they would do with an extra 20 minutes or half an hour. So I think this is kind of a good place to start. Cool. Yeah. And I also love intentionally asking the question because I would have said that I was really good at some parts of self-care. I'm really good at pursuing joy and gratitude. So I will always, I'll find the time to get a bath and to buy myself a treat and to, you know, write a thank you note and practice a gratitude journal and those sorts of things. And so it's easy for me to go like, oh, I'm good at this. Like I take care of myself. I love to pursue joy. And yet ask me last time I went to the doctor or how many hours sleep I get or how much water I drink or actually those taking care of my body self-care things. And there's gaping holes. And what you just shared about thriving on chaos, those are words that I've said for years. I'm now like not allowing them in my vocabulary going, oh, maybe I crave chaos, but I actually don't thrive on chaos because no one really does. And so the burnout piece, man, I know what you're talking about, about women rolling their eyes when you bring up self-care. And yet how many of those women eventually face burnout and their kids are the ones who suffer, not just them. So we, we say we don't have self-care. We don't have time for self-care because we love our kids too much and we're devoting everything to them. And yet it's a way that we care for our kids because if we're unwell, if we're waking up irritated, if we are unhealthy or ungrateful or not, then how are we being great moms to our kids? That's exactly it. It spills over. The people that we love the most are the people that get it. <laughs> you know, they they pick up on what we're feeling. And so honestly, I teach even a free class just because on this exact topic of how to stop, it's called how to stop yelling at the people you love. Because that's just what I hear from people all the time is like, I even I know that I'm not my best self. But what bothers me more is how it affects my kids, how it makes me feel like I'm a bad mom or I have mom guilt around it. So yeah, it's definitely... It's definitely a problem for a lot of moms, but I think that that's why you find your why. And you know, if you know why you're doing something, then you're going to say, okay, I actually am going to make time for this self-care because I want to be a better mom, because I want people around me to feel loved. Yeah. That's really good. All right. So let me ask you, how do you stop yelling at the people you love? (laughs) (laughs) Or tell me just more practically, when you're struggling, how do you keep those struggles, the big feelings from affecting the people in your home? So it's twofold. It's one is the work we just talked about, which is dealing with your emotions regularly. So it's not a one and done. Sure. Thing. It's, all, it's like a sure. Thing. That's good. Yeah. And then the second part is changing how you communicate with your kids and your loved ones. So there is a practice called nonviolent communication. Marshall Rosenberg is was the founder of it. And so I recommend people look that up. But I kind of teach that too, just that 
asking questions and not getting engaged in power struggles. When you notice something's happening, especially with like trauma behaviors and things like that, we have to disengage. We have to disengage emotionally from it. And I love the stuff that you share about that. You're so good and so wise about sharing, you know, how to deal with that in the moment. But I think something you can ask is like, would you be willing to do this instead of like do this instead of coming from a place of commanding or asserting your power over someone asking your kid would you be willing to unload the dishwasher nine times out of ten when yeah. you ask them as if they have a choice they want to yeah they want to please you they want to do it so it's really kind of just about disengaging from those power struggles that's really good and the power of language like you said like just the difference between do the dishes and would you be willing to And if they say no, then maybe there's something there that needs to be addressed and maybe, but like just starting with a different set of language that invites our kids and doesn't like begin the power struggle. Like let them be the ones (laughs) who are going to draw lines in the sand and start power about it. But like, we don't have to start them off that way. Exactly. Yes. 100%. Whenever I have like a a parent just came into my office this week with her daughter having the worst time getting ready for school in the morning. And, you know, she was like, well, what should we do? There was so much emotion, so much tension. And I basically just said, I said, okay, we're going to stop talking. We're going to let her tell us what her ideal morning will look like. And then we're going to write it down and we're going to do it and see what happens. And literally she texted me yesterday and was like, Kathleen, I don't even know what to say. I am speechless. She got to school on time. Everything was perfect. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's because we, it's so counterintuitive, but we try to take the power. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're willing to just give it to them a little bit, even they will, they want more than anything else to please us and to do what it's the right thing to do. That's really good. I love that. All right. You've shared a couple of times about different resources that you have. Can you tell us real quick where people can find you? Sure. My website is fearlessfostering.com. And I'm on Instagram where I share the most is at fearless underscore fostering. Those are the two main places I show up. But yeah, all my freebies are linked in my bio there and they're easy to find on my website. All right, cool. All right. So I want to switch gears a little bit and just chat, just talk about life as women. So here's what I want to know from you. What are you doing, reading, eating, watching, and listening to? So first, what are you doing? What's like your hobby or your favorite thing these days? My first answer was going to be changing diapers. So I feel like that's all. Oh, gosh. No, don't say that. I mean, I feel no. that. I do. But <laughs> no, what I'm doing right now is trying to start finding safe ways to hang out with people again. I miss so much the connection. Mm. So, you know, as the weather gets warmer and things start to ease, ease up with COVID, I'm like, yes, let's let's go have coffee again. I miss my people. I'm such an extrovert and I love just being with people. So that's my thing right now. I'm like, let's put coffee dates and dinners on the calendar. Let's get this going. Yeah, I love it. Do you have people in your life who are also foster parents? I do. Yes. I'm very lucky. I have people who are foster parents and just, you know, even there's a few that we met in our foster care training classes that we were like, we kind of want to stay connected. Oh, cool. I love it. Same way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been really good. Nice. Okay. What are you reading? I'm sorry. I missed the next question. (laughs) Reading. I'm reading Fervent by Priscilla Shire right now. It's kind of what the movie War Room was based off of. And a friend sent it to me. She's like, I feel like you need this right now. And I was like, "Mm, I feel like I do too. So yeah, it's good. So it's about prayer? Yeah, it's about prayer and intentional prayer. It's about like a prayer plan, essentially, which it's not to be like beholden to a plan for prayer, but just to be, because oftentimes I would get in a rut. I do get in a rut of like, I pray the same thing every day. And I'm like, cool, God, we talked. And I'm like, this is kind of Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
let's go deep. Let's ask for the things that our heart is like stirring around and things like that. So what does that look like for you as a foster parent? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. It I know, heavy. Help. The power of prayer, because I feel like I've, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. And, you know, I think sometimes I really just resurfaces for me how much I need Jesus. Like this experience, I'm like, my husband and I are just like so much closer together and so much closer to God than we have been. But we still need the constant, like, we, let's be praying together, like nightly. About yeah. What's going on with foster care? Because there's a lot. There's a lot. You know, even though, like you said, it's the same same people from last time that we're kind of dealing with. It's a lot. It's different emotionally this time. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Okay. What are you eating? Oh my gosh. Okay. Always Chick-fil-A. I'm just, I can't not. It's just, <laughs> Chick-fil-A is my kryptonite. I love it so much. So like, yeah, once a week, usually on the days when my daughter goes to a visit, I'll take my, my two-year-old in the car and we go through the drive-thru and we do a little Chick-fil-A date. Cause I'm like, am I eating my feelings? Maybe, but like only God yeah. can me. <laughs> yeah. 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 It feels appropriate. There is no judgment here at all. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with All right. What are you watching? <laughs> what are you watching? Oh, I am watching still Modern Family. I just love that show so much. And it just, it's over now. Like it's not coming. But I actually am about to start Schitt's Creek, which people have said is amazing. And I think my husband will like it too. Yeah. Those are two shows it. that everyone talks about that I have never gotten into. I mean, I think they're funny. Like if I've seen yeah. a couple of minutes, but all right. So you just, I need to ask you this. I want your psychotherapist point of view here. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You said that Modern Family, like you're still watching it, which I guess you you mean you're rewatching it, right? Yeah, rewatching it. Yeah. Okay. So you know that I've seen it in memes and stuff, the thinking that like it is a calming thing for people with anxiety to rewatch things over and over. Is that like an actual thing? Like, can you put like teeth behind that? I will put teeth behind that. Yes. I think especially when you're feeling anxious watching something that you have seen a million times or something that you know is going to make you laugh or you know how it's going to make you feel. That's something that I tell people. Yeah, that's good. I get that. And choose what you want to watch or read based on that. Okay. I like that. So my thing is, (laughs) which you can judge me for this. It's okay because I am fully (laughs) committed to it. But my thing is Twilight and it has been for many years. So I love Twilight and I'll just... Every time I'm sick, I get in bed and I put on Twilight. And so my daughter just left. And so I am watching Twilight like almost all the time. (laughs) Like like, I'm working and Twilight's on in the background. I'm like going to bed and I'm watching 20 minutes of Twilight. And so I really stepped back and I was like, this is weird. What is it here? And I realized that the first time I watched it, however many years ago, I was in a really significant depression. It's the only time I've had a significant depression. And it was a nine-month, very deep, very low panic and depressive like episode for a long time. And I went, oh my gosh, I wonder if that's a piece of it. Like That was this thing that I was watching all the time when I felt really low. And so anytime I feel low, I'm like, I should watch Twilight because that's kind of like a calming thing for me. Yep. I love that. I think you kind of know like in yourself what you need. And so like you're just gravitating towards that. But also there is nothing wrong with Twilight. Let's be real. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to take I'm going to take your official expertise there and call Twilight therapeutic (laughs) and start like diagnosing and here's your treatment. Watch Twilight. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Everyone self-care is Twilight. I love it. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Sorry. Thanks for being my therapist there for a second. Of course. (laughs) All right. What are you listening to? 
Gosh, I love podcasts. I love your podcast. I love Risen oh. Motherhood. I love, you know, just mom podcasts. Those are my favorite things mm. to listen to right now. And I like to be able to just hear the stories of other moms who are, you know, in it too. So yeah, that's what I'm listening to always. Nice. I love it. Especially, I mean, that's a lot of your work. Just talking to and listening to moms. Is there ever a point where it feels like too much? Or is that what, I mean, you said you're very extroverted. Is that what you get your energy from? Yeah, that's what I get my energy from. It never feels like work. It always feels like, I can't believe I get to do this. I love it. Mm. I would do it all day, every day. (laughs) I love it. Well, thanks for sharing just your passion for it and your expertise and your personal experience just the past half hour or so. I really, I appreciate you just laying it out and letting me use you a little bit as my own sounding board and sharing with us. So tell everyone again where they can find you online. You can find me on Instagram at fearless underscore fostering and my website, fearlessfostering.com. Great. Kathleen, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. You can find us online at realmompodcast.com, on Instagram at at realmompodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmompodcast. Thanks so much for listening. It's too my key.